The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Navigator's Church Ministries led a track called Disciple Making Relationships, Get Real and Go Deep. They've provided our listeners with a short free PDF resource called The Start Small, Go Slow Strategy, which leads readers through a pastor's journey to building a disciple-making culture. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash navigators. That's discipleship.org slash navigators. Now here's today's track session. Well, welcome to the workshop on healing relational pain. You know, as a young woman, I struggled with relationships in that I was too blunt. I was, didn't regard timing. And, and many other assorted issues that came with just not being relationally wise. But that failure made me want to learn. And so out of my readers grew a learning and a longing and a passion to be relationally wise and to equip other people to be relationally wise, particularly in disciple making. Because when we're making disciples, we need relational wisdom, don't we? So that's why I partner with Relational Wisdom 360, operated by Ken Sandy and the Navigators. Uh, while Patty works on preventing uh, relational conflict, my, part of my ministry with the Navigators is working with churches experiencing relational conflict and helping them resolve it in redemptive ways, biblically. Um, so, and, and to say to you, we do not come to you as experts on this. We come to you as a couple who's, we've had a lot of failure in this area and learned through these years to fail forward. And we find that we're not alone. So many other folk, every other, someone, everyone has problems with relationships. So um, we come to you as fellow learners. And our passion is to assist churches in developing relationally strong and spiritually vibrant believer communities where disciples are made, multiplied, that are healthy. That multiply healthy disciples. And so, we, I'm sorry, we have an app for you. So Relational Wisdom 360 wanted to equip people to have some easy access to tools, including blogs. And so we just want you to know that Ken Sandy has given us the rights to use his material here with the Navigators. But if you'd like to download that app, you can get more information. Okay. So let's just commit this time to the Lord. Just ask him to minister to us and do our lives, okay? Lord God, we thank you for this conference. We thank you, God, for the, we thank you for our focus on disciple-making intentionality in our lives and in our various places of ministry. And this time, Lord, we, we also realize that relationships we do have are messy and disappointing at times and hurtful. So we pray for the wisdom of your spirit to help us view those relational breakdowns as opportunities to grow, becoming better disciples to make more and better disciples. Use this time for that purpose, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. In your notes, you have uh, a case study about Pastor Tom I'd like to review with you. Pastor Tom was a, a highly, is a highly motivated pastor wanting to disciple, to grow disciples to his life, 
and then extending into the culture of the church. And he asked me to coach him through the process as well as to help him make sure he knew where he was in his notes. Okay, yes. Um, to train a disciple-making leader team. So by the start of the second year, everything was going well. He had three guys, actually four guys and three women, was established and meeting bi-weekly with Pastor Tom for specific disciple-making training. Um, they had, in this group, good relational cohesiveness. And for some of the churches I've worked with, they've made really good, solid progress and, got, and be able to get some of the disciple-making skills down. However, they hit a relational snag. And his name was Chuck. <laughs> Tom was first, was first frustrated, and then he was just downright angry that Chuck had seemingly, as he put it, gone all rogue on the group by not following specific training instructions to how to lead his own group. So Pastor Tom, in a public meeting, I think we have some chairs reserved for you folks right over here. Just kind of crumb. Oh, you're not Baptist, but you know, the, there's all the back chairs are taken. <laughs> so what Pastor Tom did was he chided this man publicly, accusing him of not following his directions. And then, giving this reason, that my disciple-making team would know that we need to take this training process seriously. So what I would like you to do in your notes, now you have the case study in your notes, so listen carefully to me, all right? We want you to answer the first three questions on that case study. The first one being, like, um, question, how do you think that chide, the public chiding left that man feeling? And to do that, to answer that first question, you may want to also use the emotional pain words, pick three to five, how do you think it left him feeling? And then also answer the next two questions, not the bottom three, just the first three questions on that case study. All right, what I'd like you to do is if you can get into groups of three, or maybe four, um, and just share uh, a little bit of what you thought. And you guys can take notes from one another. What you, how you answered it. And share with the partner next to you. Some guy's a whisper guy. I didn't do that. Who is my volunteer? Who's the hero? Okay, if we can just discuss um, what you got, like, so how do you think the China man felt? Humiliated. Humiliated. Angry. Anger. Defensive. Defensive, excellent. What else? Judged. Judged. Disrespected. Disrespected. Um, excellent. These are great pain words. We feel like this, and we know what that feels like, because we've been on that end of the relational hurt spear. Carrie Patterson, now, Carrie Patterson wrote this amazing book called Crucial Conversations. Have any of you ever read that book? 
It is a must read. It's a secular book, but I've never read a secular book that hit the Bible so well. You know what I'm saying? So this book is outstanding. What was the author's name again? His name is Kerry Patterson. That's K-E-R-R-Y. He, his great quote, respect is like hair. As long as it is present, no one thinks about it. But once it is taken away, once it is violated, everyone notices. The instant people, the instant people feel some disrespect in the conversation, the interaction is no longer about the original issue, but defending their dignity. To the extent that people feel honored by you, they, and they feel safe with you, listen to this, you can say almost anything and they will listen. Tone is critical. Tone is critical. If they feel you care about them, you're a trustworthy person, they'll hear it. What effect do you think this verbal reprimand had on the group? Shut down. Shut down, absolutely. Broken trust. Broken trust is huge, so this is the damage that something like that does to a group that is significant. Um, the, a lot of fear, walls of protection, loss of respect. Loss of respect is for the, not for the guy who failed, it's for the pastor who failed to properly value that man. So here's a harder question. What effect do you think that reprimand had on Pastor Tom? Isolation. Isolation, good. Angry and un unresolved. Unresolved, yes. Maybe guilt. Guilt? Mm -hmm. So here's, here's a, a deep, to what, at what level do you think he was aware of what he did? Sadly, he was not aware he did anything wrong. Sadly. So here's some questions we can consider together. Well, first of all, we know that relational pain has two sides. There's the pain that's inflicted on us. That we tend to know and recognize well. But what about the pain we have inflicted on others? Sometimes we're not even aware. We want to learn how to heal from both sides. And folks, it's sad to say, this is about six hours worth of material and I'm trying to get it truncated in an hour and 15 minutes. So it's like going through a buffet line. You may get a taste here and a taste there and a whiff over here, but you're really not gonna get the full meal as what we hope to give you, but we're gonna do our best. We wanna teach how to heal from the pain that we've caused as well as those that have caused us. How can we redemptively process it and learn from it? If left unaddressed, what are the likely consequences for Pastor Tom personally? The longer any sin remains unconfessed in our lives, toward God and toward others. It begins to harden our heart, our spirit becomes more insensitive, our eyes grow blind, the plank, and, the plank grows, because when we go and tell someone, other, someone off like that, ma'am, you hit the nail on the head, there's spiritual pride. I know better than you. And what I have to say is so important for you to hear, it doesn't matter how I say it. If the, when there is no gentleness and no humility and no tenderness and no love with the truth, none of that is of the Spirit. 
Also, folks, we reap what we sow. And we reap what we sow far more than we know. We do so with every, every action, every attitude. And we're left then with the worst kind of pride, which is self-righteous anger, and it overcomes our spirit. For what, by whatever man is overcome, according to 2 Peter 2.19, he becomes enslaved. I love Proverbs 11.19, 11.17, Proverbs 11.17 in the New Living Translation. We nurture our own soul when we are kind. We nurture our own soul when we are kind. But we destroy our life when we are cruel, when we're punitive, when we pay people back, when we lose our temper or don't make it right. The relationship this had on Pastor Tom and his future relationship with Chuck, well, Chuck didn't trust him. A lot was lost. A lot of trust was eroded. On the team, same thing. Fear, relational distance. Relational distance is the death knell of disciple-making impact. You don't have trust, you're not going to have transformation. Negative modeling, that's the, that's the thing that, that I tried to convince, talk to him about, and again, he was more repentant once he heard what he did. But negative modeling, the disciples learn, we know this, disciples learn best through modeling, <coughs> watching us. They are long going to forget most of what we said to them, but they will never forget what we were in our character in our level of humility or our level of pride. All right, let's talk a little bit about the relational pain, the problem with it. Unaddressed relational wounds will ultimately harm us as well as the relationships that we seek to influence. What was Tom's wound? Well, through some probing, it came to light that Pastor Tom had a dad wound, and here's how it came out. He's raised by a non-Christian dad who never believed in him, and specifically told him, son, you're never going to succeed in life. So when he became a Christian and later wanted to go to Bible school to become a pastor, his dad really bore into him and said, if you become a pastor, basically, you're going to live a worthless life. You're not going to be able to support your family. You're going to lose at this. Well, that became a life commandment for Tom to live down the, um, the perspective of his dad. So he became very driven. I'll show you. I'll prove it. I'm worthwhile. Trying to grow a church to prove his value. So even though Tom now is in his 50s and his dad is long gone off the earth, whenever another leader would challenge him or not follow his direction, it would often be this reactionary anger would come out toward the person and here's the point. Life-to-life -life disciple making has many powerful relational dynamics. But the one that is often overlooked is that it is going to bring out your stuff and it's going to include the things you stuffed, as it did with my friend Tom. It's gonna to bring out our stuff, ladies and gentlemen, and the things that we've stuffed inside so what is at stake? Now, 
I'm willing to discuss this afterward. If any of you want to discuss, I don't have time to discuss it here, but my observation, to the extent we have not healed from past relational hurts, we will tend to react out of those wounds instead of respond out of the word. I, I, you've got to get the wound healed or you'll respond out of it when you get triggered. And so will our disciples. And I have seen this time and again. I've seen it with pastors. I've seen it with people who know their theology. But under the right circumstances, where the pressure comes, where they feel attacked, you get this ungodly reaction. And two things, two responses. Out of embarrassment, they go into, I'm just going to ignore this and pretend it didn't happen. And they go into hiding. Or they justify it, excuse it, and blame it on the other person but not to confess. All right. The danger here is not in the fact they committed the wound. The danger here is if they didn't confess it. When we do blow it, and if Tom goes back and tells to his group, I was wrong in the way I handled Chuck. I have sought his forgiveness, and I want to seek your forgiveness. That respect is restored. It's when the confession doesn't happen. And so an otherwise great testimony the guy may have and a good ministry the guy may have, what it becomes like is Ecclesiastes 10.1. Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, like a vat of perfume stinks. There's a fly in the middle of it doing the backstroke. So a little bit of foolishness undermines credibility in our ministry. We have to take care of that business. The sobering truth, what we model, we multiply. Attitudes, <coughs> actions, appetites. What we model, we multiply. Everybody is making disciples. They really are. Everyone is influencing intentionally and unintentionally by what is modeled through their life, by their life, with their life. So does every church. Your church is making disciples. The question is, what kind? Because we are all influencing all the time. Reaping what we sow, day by day, choice by choice, relationship by relationship. So the critical question, what kind of relationships and disciples and impact are we having in the wake of our influence? So now we get down to pain. What is your perspective on pain? A very important question is, how do you view it in your life? Because that answer, how you view pain, will determine your attitude, then your direction, and then your destiny. And one of the things that Patty and I try to work with, with people, and this is tough, whether it's conflict or suffering, that's your friend. Because what it does is it introduces you to you. That is not original with me. That's Einstein that said that. So take it. He got something really right there. It introduces you to the real you. All right. How we respond to this is going to determine what level our disciple making will go deep to the core issues of, of our heart. And folks... I don't know, disciple making has got to drop to the heart to reach the heart. Don't we want our disciple making to go deep and not just be head to head? 
don't we want it to be at the heart issues of the heart? It's so easy to transfer information, but what about the transformation? It takes getting to the heart. And that takes being willing to use pain and suffering as an opportunity to go deep. So how will we view it? As an interruption, as an obstacle, or as an opportunity, as an invitation? So I know I'm going a little quick here. I'm going to be sensitive to my bride, as I have to live with her, so I have to give her more time. So how do you presently view the very painful relational challenges in your life? I can tell you, it probably can tell by how we pray. If you pray this way, Lord, just get me through this. Or, Lord, get me out of this. That really isn't the prayer of a disciple. The prayer of freedom is, Lord, grow me through this. Grow me through this. Disciples grow through relational pain and challenges. They grow wiser in their relationships. They grow stronger in their character. And they grow more effective in their discipling. I would say one other they grow healed. They experience healing. They experience freedom. Freedom in their spirit and things that handicapped them and held them back. Oh my goodness. This is God's pathway relationally. Partly is how we're going to heal. How we're going to grow that way. So a major component in becoming a better disciple to make more and better disciples is learning to work through painful challenges. And the point being is this. I believe God's desire through our suffering, through the challenges, is to do a deeper work in us, that he can do the greater work through us. The deeper work must come first, and that requires some pain. The deeper work to the greater work to bring back the greater blessing to us. It's like this cycle. And that's the wonder of relational pain. So. The process of responding to relational pain in redemptive ways. So what could Pastor Tom have done to prevent this outbreak? What could Chuck have done to, to process his pain so that the process of making disciples would not be thwarted? That's what we're here today to talk about. So to heal pain, we've got to diagnose it properly, don't we? I, uh, about 12 years ago, I had just had it with some sharp pain in my big toe. The big toe, it was sharp and it was just debilitating. So I finally decided after years of dealing with that to go and get it looked at. So I went to a foot doctor and they said, oh, you need an orthotic, $500. I got an orthotic and guess what? I still had this sharp, intense toe pain, lightning bolts of it. And so they decided, well, you know, we probably need to do a nerve block in that big toe. So they injected, causing greater pain, into my big toe, a nerve block. <clears throat> Nothing, it didn't work. So then they decided, oh, we're gonna do a nerve block somewhere else, a little bit higher up. And so they did that, and nothing worked. So years and years, I am, they're misdiagnosing the, the root issue of that toe pain. It wasn't until an aggressive doctor got an accurate MRI, not just x-rays, an MRI, and they found with another test with electrical impulses 
the exact point. And you know, we were trying to heal the big toe, but the issue was in my spine. And so until we dealt with the, the root problem, we couldn't heal the pain. That's what we tend to do with pain, relationally. We gloss over it, we put a Band-Aid over it, we ignore it, we stuff it, we run away, we attack, we gossip, but we're not healing the pain. So I want to give you a short acrostic, a short process that is a very long, intensive process when you break it down. So SOG, and this is a result of uh, Ken Sandy's material, our healing relational pain is RW360. So this is his that he developed to help his daughter navigate some tumultuous teenage relationship issues. And we use it today with adults. So the SOG plan is simple. Are you ready to memorize this plan? S-O-G, SOG, say it with me, SOG. So we've got self-aware, then we've got others aware, and then we've got God aware. So it is a three process, but it's not just three steps. Think of it as a circle, because we're continually going and going from the self-aware, others aware, God aware. We can start at the God aware, self-aware, others aware, but we're never leaving any of those components out when we are dealing with relational pain. So let me tell you a story of how I used the SOG when I was involved in disciple making um, with two women from a church. I was helping Lucy and Lisa implement disciple making and, and leaving behind spiritual generations of disciple makers, we were trying to do that in their local church. And so I was doing Zoom calls with them. Um, part of this process was beautiful because it was in our former churches. And I love these two women deeply. We laughed hard together. We were passionate about making disciples. We were, I would consider them, even though they thought I was their disciple, I mean their, their disciple maker, I consider them as equals and friends. And so this process was going very smoothly. They were gaining traction in their women's ministry. They were implementing strategies and processes, processes to equip women to be disciple makers. But in the middle of one of the coaching sessions I had with one of the leaders, Lucy, I found out that Lisa had been granted monies from their church, budgeted for leadership coaching, which is what I had been doing. And she hired someone else. I had been doing pro bono because I love them and I love the process. And now there was money and they hired someone else. In fact, she didn't just hire someone else. She hired someone I introduced them to. You know, it's like a a boyfriend finding out that his best friend was going to be dating his girlfriend or something. I mean, it just, I, I was, I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do with these feelings? And I'm on, I'm on a Zoom call with Lucy. And I thought, what can I do now? I, 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 I'm caught off guard. I don't know what to say. And so what would I be tempted to do? 
to feel defensive, what would I be tempted to do right in that moment with Lucy? Uh, <laughs> one word. Vent? Vent with her, yes. Something else I might be tempted to do. Gossip. Gossip. Oh, yes. What did someone else say? Maybe. Confront her. Confront? Mm-hmm. And in a way that might not be pretty. Yep. Emotions. Emotions are something else because they always move us to action. <coughs> are you a multitasker? All right, so what did I do with this process? By God's grace, I did not react. Lucy was so concerned that my feelings would be hurt, and she wasn't in agreement with the process. God gave me the wisdom not to partner with her, not to alienate myself with Lucy and leave Lisa behind. But what I did to heal that pain yielded the fruit of ongoing disciple making in their church. So let's look at it and unpack it. So the first thing we have to do is be self-aware. And how do we do that? We recognize our emotions. We want to know what's going on. What is going on inside of us that we want to act out on? What happens often is that we act without considering what's driving the action. Like the big toe issue. If we can acknowledge what's really going on, then we can manage what we feel like doing. I'd like you to look at your handout. There's a emotional pain words. And let's just talk about this for a minute. So in each row, there is an intensity of emotion that goes from low to high. So what is the high and low end of sadness? Despair. Okay, despair is at the high end, yes. And what's at the low end of, of sadness? Stress. Pardon me? Disappointment. Disappointment, that's right. So this is just a broad generalization, but this, this gives you some words to begin with. It's not precise, but it helps you see the patterns. So you'll notice on the left, those emotions are related to fear. And fear tends to make us withdraw. So if I had had fear emotions, I would have removed myself, created distance with Lisa. The three on the right are related to anger. And those emotions make us want to lash out. So in the middle, what we have are more positive emotions. And those, we don't withdraw, we don't attack, but rather, we draw toward people. So we want to ask, what am I thinking and feeling in this situation? And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to look at, at what David, the psalmist, felt about himself and about the other person that he was involved in. So you might, because we only have 50 handouts, it's on your tables, you might need to share. So break up into groups of three people, make sure one of you has this, and work through the psalm, what I want you to do is circle every word or phrase that expresses David's emotions. So in your, in your groups, circle every word that describes David's emotions. 
both of those emotions, but I want you to go now to the next question on this handout and discuss with three or four people, how does the level of David's honesty with God speak to you about your processing, your own hurts and worries and fears? And that question is at the bottom of that handout. So just a couple of minutes. So I would love to hear in a moment what some of you gleaned from this, but what were some of the emotions that you heard him describe? So, restless. Did anyone hear restlessness? Restless. Distraught. Distraught. Oppressed. Oppressed. Distracted. Distracted. Pardon? Complaining. He felt, yeah, he was complaining. Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Oh, I love when I read that word. Did Did you notice the words that he was grievous, grievously yes. pained? Yes. That's pretty deep, isn't it? This is half white church. <laughs> <laughs> right. How about fearful? Fear, and what does fear make us want to do? Pull back. Pull away. Uh, frightened. Betrayed. Vindictive. How was he vindictive? He he felt like getting even, didn't he? And that's normal. And who was he telling? God. Now, my question is, how does emotional honesty with God impact us? And we're, we're going to unpack that a little bit more in a few minutes. But you see, if we know what we're feeling, we can then know what we feel like doing. And that's critical because emotions always move us to action. Do you know that the root word emotion means to move? And why is that? Because God created it in us, a fight or flight. So I heard uh, someone coming into our house one night. And I woke up and I'm afraid. And what, what is fear doing to me there? It makes me want to act on it. My muscles tense up. So this is God given. But because of sin and the fall, emotions can be destructive rather than empowering us to do what's good. So what did I feel with Lisa? What did I feel like doing? I, all the things we talked about. But you know, there's a part of the brain that, that handles our emotions. And when we are moved to be, uh, to act, the part of the brain that handles emotions doesn't handle the logic, the thinking. And that's the part of the brain where sermons are stored, where podcasts are stored, where scripture memory is stored, where concepts are stored. And so what we need is time for the emotional part of our brain to access those truths and to act on them. Naming your emotions causes the part of the brain, the limbic system, to engage the logical part of the brain. So naming emotions is actually helping you to be wiser in what you do. So where do the emotions come from? We ask ourselves, what's going on? That's why we name the emotions. 
So I had to say, what is the source? Was it an unmet expectation or desire? What do you think David desired in the Psalms? What do you think he expected? Revenge. <laughs> he wanted revenge, didn't he? But didn't he expect a friend to be loyal? And suddenly that loyalty is gone? And so that desire for loyalty was met with betrayal. And that's what's driving that emotion. What did I expect or desire with Lisa? Well, I expected to complete the process I started. I did do that. And you know, when she didn't talk it through with me, it wasn't her decision that hurt. It was that she didn't talk it through. And so I no longer felt like a commodity, but I mean, like a relationship, but I felt like a commodity. I expected honesty, and I expected trust. I expected to be valued, because what I was doing for them, I did out of love. I expected that to be appreciated. So our emotions come from ex expectations or desires, but they also come from triggers. Let me explain that to you. What is a trigger? A trigger is a memory tape in that emotional part of the brain. And that memory tape is stored there. It can be, it can be accessed by something you see, feel, smell. It, any of those things can trigger that emotion, that old memory tape. So what happened with me is that there was a trigger. You see, she didn't talk things through. And in my family growing up, and even today, they don't talk anything through. They just shut down. They, you're off their Facebook friend. They hang up on you. And my dad modeled that. And so that, that's a huge trigger for me, is don't, don't walk away. Talk it through. And so I felt like I was going back to this pattern in my family. So I had a stronger, um, a more disproportionate response internally. The other trigger for me was that my dad was so generous with everybody but us. And so with us, there was extreme stinginess. And I grew up feeling like I wasn't worth it. His generosity with others only impacted the, the reality that I wasn't worth it. So there I have a trigger. Well, how do you discern if you have a trigger going on in your relational pain or if the person you're discipling has a trigger going on in their relational pain? So we, we want to ask, when I am responding disproportionately, what could this be tapping into? I had an argument with Lou years and years ago, and it was so minor. It was about a dumb video. I rented a video, and he just expressed, ah, Patty, we've got to be careful with our expenses. And I, I flew off the coop <laughs> because I had that trigger in there saying, you're not worth it, you're not worth it. All he was saying is, what about our finances? So when you see something disproportionate, and I went to God and said, Lord, where is this anger coming from? And God revealed it to me so that I could heal and, and minimize the impact that Satan wanted that trigger to have on me. So we asked, what is it tapping into? And here's a good one. 
When else have you felt this way? These are questions that we can ask those that we're in relational pain with. These are questions that we can ask those that are in relational pain that we're coming alongside. So back to our original study, what do you think Tom's trigger was? I think we know, don't we? The dad, that old wound. And so there was this disproportionate response and a control, disrespect. So what are possible triggers that you might have? The, the Bible tells us that Satan is waiting to devour. He's just waiting for the right time. And I strongly believe that he waits for our triggers to invite us into sinful responses. So the more we're aware of our triggers, the more we're aware of Satan's schemes, the more we're aware of how God can use us and call us to obedience. You know, you may have a sister that was controlling and strong and dominant and just would walk into a room and take over. Someone walks in the room, reminds you of her, you don't even know it. And you don't like any of their ideas. That's a trigger. That's a trigger at work. Sometimes maybe you felt powerless growing up. You get into an environment when you feel that way, that's a trigger. Maybe it's a parent that was distant and aloof, indifferent. Maybe you never got chosen for the team in junior high. Maybe you couldn't catch a ball. Here I am. And, and you got teased all the time. That could be a trigger when you react to being teased. I'm just coming up with some basic things, but ask yourself if I'm responding awfully strong and invite others to speak into that. What's going on? Ask God to show you. In the middle of your relational pain, you may be reacting stronger than is appropriate for that pain. Um, just a quick question. Can the emotional response can be very much internal? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that. Emotional responses are mostly, they're all internal, but they come out in behaviors. And so all these processes I'm talking about, they were internally, but they were manifested in how I behaved. So the next thing is, how do we respond to this? What can we do so that we heal relational pain and also so that we don't cause relational pain? So how do I respond to Lisa? Am I going to retreat? And if I do so, what happens to making disciples? I'm discipling her. She's. I'm helping her to create a disciple-making movement in her women's ministry. What happens to that? It's sabotaged. If out of anger I react by letting her have it or gossiping about her, I damage the relationship and damage the process of making disciples. I would have destroyed trust and I would have created distance. So what's the next step? What's, what's the first letter we dealt with? S? And it represents self-aware. Okay, so the next one is O. Be others aware. Oh, it's so easy to know how we feel, isn't it? We know what we're feeling. We know, we know what they should have done. But take time 
to look through the lens of their life, of their perceptions. How good are you at being self-others aware? I'm gonna give you a test right now. So are you ready for this test? It's gonna measure very accurately how others aware you are. So what we have is we have a basketball team. And there's two teams playing, and we're asking you how many passes did they make? And so you watch throughout the whole video. And how many? You, if you counted right, 13 passes. But the question is, did you see the moonwalking bear? This is an awareness test. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's just not how many passes? We're just gonna skip it, and I will, I will tell it. <laughs> it. We have lost the screen. So. All right, we're gonna go on without the clip, so let's let's move on. Now, this they replay, and if you go back and see the first thing, you'll see that the first and the second were identical. But you go back. And suddenly you're looking for this moonwalking bear. So this big bear is walking back and forth the whole time the passes are doing. And nobody even see it, sees it because you're not looking for it. It's a phenomenon called selective perception because your brain can only hold so much data. And so it doesn't look for certain things, so it doesn't see it. But God is calling us to up our others' awareness and look for things we hadn't seen before. Because the Bible tells us that our hearts are deceive us. And so we perceive things a certain way. But God is calling us to look at it through the lens of other people. How do you become more others aware? So what might Lisa be feeling and thinking? What might she be feeling about the situation? So I had to say Lisa, and we did have a conversation. I used a principle called pause, which we can't do today, but if you buy the book, Resolving Everyday Conflicts at Our Table, that's all spelled out in there. So I had to ask her, Lisa, when you hired this gal, what was your concern? Do you know what her concern was? Because, of course, you think, oh, I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough. I did something wrong. She wanted something better. But that wasn't it. It was you. Pardon? She was concerned about you. Actually, not. <laughs> she was, yes, in some ways she was. She was concerned about losing two relationships. She called it triangulation. She was afraid because what had happened in her past? She had been in a three-way relationship twice, and twice it went south, and it was extremely hurtful. It pulled into a trigger with her mom growing up where she was a caregiver. She was always responsible, and somehow in her mind, she had to be self-protective here because I would hurt her if we continued this way with three people. So what was she thinking about? Me. Help me to understand, how did you experience me? What, what about me concerned you in this relationship that you wanted to step out from it? And so as she began to share, 
She had had that betrayal in the past. She wrote, she co-authored a book. And that relationship ended up betraying her deeply. She feared that happening again. As I asked her many more questions, not questions to accuse, but questions to understand, I gained insight into Lisa, but more importantly, Lisa gained insight into Lisa. She went from fearing that relationship to feeling safe and to feeling even more secure than before. She, she told me later, I have never felt so loved by a friend when we had that conversation. She said, this has modeled for me what it looks like to work through a painful relational issue in a healthy way. And I'm taking those processes into my relationships currently. It's living out Philippians 2.4. Don't look out for your own interest, but take an interest in others also. As we become aware of what their desires and interests are, and by interest I mean she wanted a ministry that was fruitful. So I, I acknowledge this is what your interest is. You want this to prosper. You want relationships to prosper. But when we become aware of them, we have to engage that knowledge. We have to apply that knowledge and serve them. Our nature is to look out for what, what about me? What can people do to make me feel better in this painful relationship? But God has called us to care about them and to serve them. So we want to learn from this. We want to learn from what, what we've gained through our knowledge in the relational pain, but we want to learn from this that you've learned here today, the S and the O. So what is one thing that you can say, I'm walking away with, and we have one last piece to cover. What is one thing you've gained about self-awareness or others' awareness? Tell your friend your new friend at the table, two people. Just tell each other one thing that you have gained. Can you end your conversations and we'll come back? Okay, this is a, this is a extremely truncated version of the next portion. And this is dealing with the God aware piece. Actually, the more we become God aware, the more intimate we are with our God. We become more self-aware of our own stuff and what we need to confess. We begin to see the speck or the log that is in our eye. The second thing, we become far more people-sensitive. We begin to be more concerned about their, their interests than our own. Being God, whatever happens vertically comes out horizontally. Whatever happens vertically. So the more we are open to God. So... What prevents Christians from being more open to God is, again, a question we often don't ask. But it's interesting to me that the Psalms do. We aren't open to God when we're disappointed in Him. When, he's, when we feel He's let us down and we have these built up, almost like anger against Him, um, bitternesses toward Him that are, that are growing want to turn you to, can we get to, is it possible, boss, to get to Psalm 77? Uh, we are sure going to try. Okay. <laughs> We've lost power again with the connection. So, 
what do we do with all, uh, you know, we have experienced, we have all gone through that with times of deep disappointment. The thing that the psalmist does, and if we don't get the Psalm 77, put it down to look it up. And also, look at Jeremiah's prayer in Lamentations 3. There's several prayers like this in Scripture, and it starts this way. Emotional honesty, the problem. It starts with emotional honesty. It does not start with praise, but with gut-level honesty. How are we doing? All right, so this is where it starts. Thank you for that timing. Excellent. So can I have a volunteer quickly to read the first 10 verses, and we'll, we'll put this on the screen for you, of Psalm 77. Volunteer, yes. Uh, I, cry out, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, his hand is stretched out without weary. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right, of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Thank you so much, my friend. All right, so you have to ask the question, why is a prayer like this in Scripture? Because obviously the psalmist is very upset with God. It's in here as a template for us. It is. There's many like it again. When you are, when you have all of these emotions inside, you can hardly even get them out. Start praying. Some of you may write out, write it out, journal out a, a prayer. That's what David was doing. Asaph was doing. They're journaling out their prayers. And then pray that out to God. And start with the pain. Start with the problem. And if you cry as you do it, Oh, bless you. Because that's where the freedom's going to be. You're getting the pain and the grief out. Then you go into the promise. Exhale out the pain and all the lies you're believing and start inhaling the truth. Problem, promise, and then you'll end with praise. And I pretty much have to end there. I want to tell you that process is absolutely healing. Journal out your prayers, pray them out, and... Watch You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. The message you just heard was from Navigator's Church Ministries track called Disciple Making Relationships, Get Real and Go Deep. Make sure to download their free PDF at discipleship.org navigators. In addition to this podcast and that resource, you'll find other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.